CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOUL. NewSkyRadio.com. Believe. What really happened during those empty ages between the earliest origins of the human race and the beginning of what we call recorded history? What about those impossible fossils and bizarre artifacts that seem to indicate that we've been around more than once? What is mainstream science afraid of? Hey, and welcome to the 205th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I'm Ben, and asking those unusual questions today is my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. Yeah, it's nice to be back live with you. Happy New Year to everyone. We uh, have taken a couple weeks off, and it's our first live broadcast of 2011. Have to get back into the swing of things. Yeah, I know it. And uh, before we welcome our distinguished guest, I wanted to welcome our new uh, HD3 listeners at, in, from uh, WDSY and WZPT in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Welcome aboard. And today, we're pleased to welcome back Michael A. Cremo, also known as the Forbidden Archaeologist. Michael is hailed as a groundbreaking research pioneer and international authority on archaeological anomalies. His landmark book, Forbidden Archaeology, first published in 1993, and which I have enjoyed almost since it first came out, has been translated into 26 languages. Michael continues to dig up enigmatic discoveries in the fossil record and shake up accepted paradigms, exploring famous archaeological sites around the world, journeying to sacred places in India, appearing on national television and radio in the United States and other countries, lecturing at mainstream science conferences, or speaking to alternative gatherings of global intelligentsia. As he crosses disciplinary and cultural boundaries, he presents to his, his various audiences a compelling case for negotiating a new consensus on the nature of reality. Michael is a member of the World Archaeological Congress and the European Association of Archaeologists, as well as a research associate in history and philosophy of science for the, for the uh, Bhaktivedanta, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, Institute. After receiving a scholarship to study international affairs at George Washington University, Michael began to study the ancient Sanskrit writings of India known as the Vedas. In this way, he has broadened his academic knowledge with spirituality from the Eastern tradition. It's something we respect a lot. His most recent book, just published in 2010, The Forbidden Archaeologist, The Atlantis Rising Columns of Michael A. Cremo. His website, among others, www.mcremo.com. ForbiddenArchaeology.com, HumanDevolution.com, and ForbiddenArchaeologist.com. All right. All right. So, Michael Cremo, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. Great to be with you, Paul, Ben, and all your listeners. Very good. As, as we were saying before the show, it's been about two years, far too long. So Ben's going to take us, uh, take us away today with our first question. All right. So let's start from Charles Darwin. Where did he go wrong? Well, I actually have a lot of respect for Charles Darwin in this sense that uh, at, in the mid-19th century, when he first started presenting his ideas, he had to face a lot of opposition. So I can respect him on, on, on those grounds. But I think now, after about 200 years, we're, we're, we're ready to make some judgments about him. And the particular thing that I don't like about his ideas is that he and his modern followers would say that human beings like us first appeared on Earth only about 100 or 200,000 years ago. I think there's a lot of evidence that shows that humans have been present since the very beginnings of the history of life 
found Earth, which means we didn't evolve from the apes and monkeys as Darwin and his modern followers believed. I think Darwin was also wrong in thinking that human beings and other living things are just machines made of matter. And I think it's really the truth that we're made of matter. Yes, that's part of what we are. But beyond that, there's a a subtle mind element with some very unusual paranormal or psychic powers, as some people would call them. And beyond that, there's a conscious self that can exists completely apart from the body. So those are some of the reasons why I disagree with Charles Darwin and his modern followers. That's where I think they're wrong. Okay. All right, so what's the evidence for the human race being that old? The evidence takes the form of human bones, human artifacts, and human footprints many millions of years old. And I documented this evidence extensively in in my book, Forbidden Archaeology, but just to give a a few examples, well, the California gold mine discoveries. Back in the 19th century, miners came to California to get uh, the gold. They were digging tunnels into the sides of mountains, and deep inside these tunnels, they found human bones and human artifacts in layers of rock that modern geologists tell us are about 50, 50, 50 million years old. And all of these discoveries were reported to the scientific world by Dr. J.D. Whitney, who was the chief government geologist of California. His his report was published by Harvard University in the year 1880, but these things are not mentioned in the textbooks today because they contradict the Darwinian theory of human evolution. So if if there were just one or two cases like this, well, maybe you could just dismiss the evidence and say there there are just a few unusual discoveries, but there's not just one or two cases like this. There are hundreds like this, and uh, that's why I say there's a lot of evidence that contradicts the current textbook theories of human origins. Hmm. <coughs> Excuse me. Oh, Ben's got another question here, but uh, just in the nature of an observation, I often wonder why I, – well, I guess this is your next question, Ben. Why would mainstream science try to suppress that? Yes. So, uh, well, well, well go, go ahead. You go ahead and answer that. I'll give you, give you my two cents. Well, a lot of times they don't think they're suppressing anything. They just think they're being responsible scientists. It, it's something that I call knowledge filtration. You know, they, they think something must be wrong with this evidence simply because it contradicts a very well-accepted theory. Uh, the Darwinian theory of evolution, particularly human evolution, has now acquired such a status in the mainstream scientific world that it simply cannot be questioned. So whenever scientists hear any about any evidence that contradicts it, they assume, right from the beginning. Something's got to be wrong with it. It can't possibly be true. And therefore, 
Uh, they don't discuss it. Uh, they won't write about it. Uh, if, if such artifacts or bones are in their museums, they won't be displayed. They don't think they're suppressing anything. They just think they're being responsible scientists. Well, you know, I often, maybe I'm a little more jaded than you are, but I, I often think that um, there's, a, there's a factor here that has to do with human nature. I think that we all, in general, have a vision of scientists as, as hardworking, selfless people in lab coats, you know, laboring away in, in laboratories or in classrooms, uh, trying to better the human race. And I'm sure that that's true in, in, in uh, any number of cases. But when you look at it today, I think it comes down to bucks very often, you know, and uh, we often run into that in our own paranormal research. When you've spent 50 to 60 grand or $100,000 on on an advanced degree and someone, people like us come along and question it, what's your reaction going to be? You know, well, I I, I think you're absolutely right about that. I think there is a, a financial element to all of this. You know, the, the goals that we set for ourselves individually and collectively are to a large extent determined by our concept of who we are, where we came from. Uh, for example, if I think I'm an American man, that's how I behave because that's my identity. Now, through the monopoly they now have in the education system, the mainstream scientists, the supporters of the current theories of human origins and physics and all of that, have been able to dictate to everyone the answers to these very fundamental questions. And the answers they've been giving are very materialistic. They tell people, well, you are, in the words of uh, a famous English scientist, uh, a robot vehicle blindly programmed to preserve the selfish molecules known as genes. In in other words, that's what we are. We are machines made of matter in competition with each other for survival. Mm -hmm. So if we have that sort of mentality, then we will think that to produce and consume more and more material things is the main purpose of human life. And in doing that, tremendous amounts of wealth are generated, and there are forces in society that are taking more than their fair share of that wealth, and they want to see that system continue. If we had other answers to the questions, who are we, where did we come from, if we... If we we're getting the message from our scientific authorities that there are higher dimensions to the human essence, things that involve uh, what would be called the paranormal or the spiritual or the non-material. That might mean people would start setting their goals and values in a different way, and we might not be producing and consuming as much. We might start thinking, well, let's try to just produce and consume what we really need to live and put some of our human energy into these higher dimensions of what a human being really is. And that would have some big effects on on the economy. So I think it goes beyond uh, whatever any individual is getting. No, absolutely. Are you still there? Uh Uh-oh, did we lose Michael? 
I'm here. Oh, okay. I thought we lost you there for a second, but what you say is is a is the most pregnant statement I've heard in a long time. All sorts of conclusions can be drawn, but before we get into that, uh, I, th- I think uh, people are waiting for us to a- ask the question: If you don't believe Darwin's version of where we came from, where do you believe we came from? Well, I talk about that a little bit in uh, in another book that I wrote, Human Devolution, and. Mm. The basic message of that book is we did not evolve up from matter, as most scientists now believe. Rather, we have devolved or come down from a level of pure consciousness. I mean, today, most scientists think that a human being or any other living thing is just a machine made of molecules. Mm-hmm. That's what we are. And... Uh, they believe that if the chemicals combine together, if the molecules in the brain combine together in a very complex way, they will generate what we call mind and consciousness, but only temporarily and only in association with those molecules in the brain. They believe that if you disorganize those molecules, there's no more mind, no more consciousness. So under that picture of reality, it is matter, ordinary matter that is primary. But what I'm proposing is that it is consciousness that is primary. It is consciousness that always exists. And under certain conditions, consciousness may become covered by matter. So that's what I'm proposing. That's Okay. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Well, I'm just saying I I certainly agree. And and, uh, our theories, uh, I don't know how familiar you are are with my books, but our theories are that uh, very similar. And and we reach them not by thinking or, you know, doing what you've been doing, which is, you know, literally traveling and and handling the evidence with your own hands and and, and that way. But we've approached it by means of the paranormal and whatever validity that may have and being in the trenches and seeing exactly what you say from our own point of view, which is sort of non-academic. And uh, so all I can do is, is say bravo, and uh, we'll continue to talk about that after the break. We do have a break coming up. But I wanted to get into, uh, after the break, uh, a bit about matter and how important it might be to our consciousness. So uh, we're going to take a commercial break right now. I'll be right back on Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno and our distinguished guest, Michael Cremo. Stay with us. Join Kimmy Rose on Interviews, Thursday nights from 9 to 11 p.m. Together as a community, we will embrace the challenges in life and find a way to experience heaven on earth. Spiritual teachers and Kimmy will bring you insight on how to change your life and embrace purpose. Interviews, this Thursday night starting at 9. It's all about what's within you.
Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248 545 Soul. New SkyRadio.com. And we are back with Michael A. Cremo, the forbidden archaeologist. I'm just saying I have a question. Okay. And uh, Ben is going to start us off. We're going to talk about um, a number of things as, as we go here, but Ben's going to uh, start us off with a question in our second section of the show. Go ahead, Ben. Okay, so you were describing how your theory of where humans evolved or devolved from. Have you found any evidence to support this? Yes. My basic point is that a human being is more than a combination of chemical elements. I think there's a subtle mind element with some very unusual powers and beyond that there is a conscious self that can exist apart from the mind apart from the body made of the chemical elements and there is scientific evidence for these things it takes us into what I would call the hidden history of physics let's first look at some evidence for a subtle mind element associated with the human organism that can act on ordinary matter in some very unusual ways that can't be explained by our current laws of physics. Mind is something like air. We can't see air, but when air moves over an element we can see, like water, we can observe its effects. So 
In the same way, we can't see mind, but some scientists have observed the very unusual effects of mind and ordinary matter. Uh, if we go back to the early 20th century, we find the work of two prominent physicists, Pierre and Marie Curie. They were husband and wife. They both got Nobel Prizes in physics for their work in discovering radium. And this is something you'll see in every textbook, but what you don't read in the textbooks is that they were performing experiments with mediums, people with paranormal powers. For example, they performed two years of experiments with an Italian medium named Eusepia Palladino. And in these experiments, which took place in the psychology laboratory in Paris in broad daylight under perfect conditions of observation, they observed large objects like tables floating in the middle of the air in the presence of this woman. And these experiments went on for two years. So it's not something you'll read about in the physics textbooks, but for me, it is evidence that there's a mind element associated with the human organism that can act on ordinary matter in some very unusual ways. This particular way is called psychokinesis. And there's other work as, as well that supports the idea that the mind has some very unusual powers. Uh, there's in the news now, which you've probably reported, the work of you know Dr. Bam, who's just published in a scientific journal evidence for precognition, it appears. So there's a lot of evidence for this. And Furthermore, there's evidence for a conscious self that can exist apart from the body. This evidence takes the form of medical studies of out-of-body experiences. We could point to the work of Dr. Michael Sabum in this regard, who carefully studied this phenomenon over, over the course of many years and concluded that it's a real phenomenon, that there is a conscious self that separates from the brain, separates from the body, at moments of extreme crisis when, according to all indications, a person should be completely unconscious. There's also a lot of work that's been done in the area of reincarnation memories because if a conscious self can exist apart from the body and maybe even leave the body and re-enter the same body, as happens during these near-death or out-of-body experiences, this would tend to indicate that a conscious self may, after leaving one body, enter another body. That would be called reincarnation or transmigration. And there are scientists who study this, like psychiatrist Ian Stevenson of the University of Virginia Medical School. So it appears that a human being is not just a combination of molecules. Beyond that, there is a subtle mind element with some very unusual powers, and then there's a conscious self that can exist apart from matter, apart from mind. And then the question becomes, well, where did all these things come from, and how did they come together in the human form? 
and I believe that the conscious self originally exists on a level of pure consciousness. If it departs from there, it comes down into the realms of matter. And matter exists in two forms, a subtle form and a gross form. The subtle form of matter is mind. So there are some conscious selves that come down to the level of mind, and they exist there without a gross physical body. And people have different names for these beings. They call them astral beings or gods or goddesses or gene or angels. Uh, there are different names for them. And then there are some conscious selves that come further down to the level of ordinary matter, and they would receive a covering not only of subtle mind, but also of gross matter in the form of the chemical elements. And that covering is what we call the body. So where do these bodies come from? Uh, you know, here's an example that may help us think about it. As human beings, we're normally meant to exist on the land. If we want to exist in a foreign element like water, then we, and we want to stay under the water, then we need a vehicle like a submarine or a diving suit, something like that that will allow us to exist in that foreign element. So where does that submarine or diving suit come from? Well, it comes from engineers who understand that if a human being is going to exist under the water, it needs a vehicle like that. So these engineers design and build those vehicles. So in the same way, when a conscious self leaves the realm of pure consciousness and comes to the world of matter, it needs a vehicle in which it can function on this level of reality. So there are higher intelligences, I believe, in the cosmos who design and build the vehicles that allow conscious selves to function in the world of matter. And those vehicles are what we call bodies. Now, the difference between these bodily vehicles and vehicles like submarines or diving suits is that these vehicles, the ones that we have, can reproduce themselves once the first ones are produced they go on to reproduce themselves, which is really quite a high level of technology if you think about it. You know, if we had engineers who could design cars that would reproduce themselves, that would really be pretty amazing. It hasn't been done. I don't expect that it ever will be done because it's just too complex a task. But this that's how I think we got here. We didn't evolve up from matter. It's not that as many scientists now believe, some chemicals got together in the Earth's ocean and formed the first self-reproducing organism, some single-cell creature, and then some of those single-cell creatures started sticking together and forming plants and animals, and some of the little animals became monkeys and ate men and turned into human beings. That's a Darwinian fairy tale. Mm -hmm. There's no actual evidence for that. I think if we really look at all the evidence, we'll see that you have to bring in these higher dimensional aspects. The, the theory of evolution that 
is now dominant in the world of science is only there because they want to define a human being without reference to the spiritual component of the human being. Uh, they want to say a human being is just a combination of molecules, and therefore the only way they can explain it is by evolution. But if we understand that the real essence of a human being or any other living thing is the element of consciousness, then we have to explain things in a different way that I call devolution. Mm. Okay, well, uh, we're coming up on another break, but um, huh, we're running into a, uh, an issue here that, that, and maybe it's me, uh, Ben and I tend to be voices in the wilderness with a particular point of view. We don't agree pretty much with anybody's point of view when it comes to matter and quote-unquote spirit, you know, uh, and after the break, maybe we can get into that, but we, we, we have constant run-ins with guests, particularly mediums and psychics and ghost hunters, whom I frankly try to avoid as much as possible because of their wildly dualistic approach to matter and whether you want to call it spirit or energy or whatever. Um, I, I agree more with you than I do with most of them, but I did want to bounce a few ideas off you just to see what you uh, would have to say about the notion of matter. I think it is far more important and far, I think it is part of the, the world or the, the, um, universe of consciousness just as much as anything else is. And when you look at it, of course, physics uh, at this point is telling us that matter is really nothing but energy, a different form of it. And uh, I, I just I just don't divorce matter from anything else uh, as much as most people seem to do in the Western mind. Even people who seem to be steeped in the Eastern mind, it just the, the, the unity just seems to somehow not be served by that. And as I say, we'll get into it in a moment. And we come back from our break. But uh, we are speaking with uh, with Michael A. Cremo, our good friend here on the, Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on CBS New Sky Radio, NewSkyRadio.com. And we'll continue with the duel of the idealists as we come back after our break. Stay with us. Enlighten. Empower. Enrich. This is CBS Radio's The New Sky. New horizons. No boundaries. Charming, charming, and I hope you like charming too. 
seated in Mount Zion. He rules all creation everywhere. We're charming. CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal. With Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOL. New SkyRadio.com. Believe. And we are back once again with Michael A. Cremo, the forbidden archaeologist and philosopher as well. Uh, hopefully not a forbidden philosophy because I tend to agree most of, with most of what he says. But Michael, I wanted to just bounce an idea off you. We started to talk about it during the break. As a uh, primarily a ghost researcher for f- the past 40 years, I uh, was uh, really struck really from day one by the physical nature of many of these the cases I was working on, particularly, uh, and I refer to the case 1974, I've talked about it on the air very often, uh, the poltergeist outbreak at Bridgeport, Connecticut, in which I was trying to defend a little girl from uh, one of four entities who were in this room. And it, it, it liter- I literally had a shoving match for a few seconds with this thing, and I could feel bone structure. And I said, this is not a spirit. I mean, what's going on here? So in many cases since then, <clears throat> I've been struck by the physicality of many of these things, and I get frustrated with very often with many of our guests who are more of the spiritualist bent and say, well, the, the body separates from the soul, and the soul, see, the implication being the soul can have a completely independent life. And I have a problem with that, philosophically and, and empirically, because that's not my experience. Why was it, I would ask myself, that we would see ghosts, quote-unquote, in clothes, or going about daily lives, or, 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 or driving cars, or in one case, uh, you know, going by in an ox cart that, that, that we all, that seven of us were standing there and heard the thing go by. And, uh, again, the physicality of it. And uh, the question here is um, uh, separation from the body doesn't even seem to take place. When you, when you have what is commonly known as astral projection or out-of-the-body experiences, it seems to me that they're no such thing. They, they are simply uh, manifesting in, I suppose, whatever form their body might be in a parallel world. I tie a lot into, and Ben does too, into the multiple worlds interpretation of quantum mechanics this way. So I, don't, I, don't, I think everybody's barking up the wrong tree and including us in some cases, but I don't know if anybody gets it right. I mean, what, what say you on all this, the whole notion of can you really separate uh, a, a half a person from the other half of a person or whatever you want to call it, soul from body? Uh, what say you? Well, let me 
let me first explain that a lot of the inspiration for my work and my ideas comes from the ancient Sanskrit writings of India, which are collectively known as the Vedas. You know, this idea of extreme human antiquity is something I got from the Vedic literature. And sure. my, my thoughts about uh, the topic that you've just raised also have some source in the Vedic literature. And what I would say is that on the spiritual level, there is also form and body. Uh, there's something in, in Sanskrit, it's technically called the Swarupa, means the spiritual form of the conscious self. So that means even on the level of soul, there's body. But the difference is that uh, the soul on that level is non-different from its body. It can't go to any other body. So, And there is on that level of reality also clothes, society, tr you know, everything is there on that level. And then apart from that, there is the world of matter. And when I say world of matter, I don't mean something that's entirely distinct from that spiritual world and spiritual bodies and spiritual reality uh, that I'm talking about. Um, according to the Vedic philosophy, everything is ultimately one energy. Mm. Uh, it's all one energy. It's just deployed in different ways, just like an electrician could use electricity to heat something. He could use it to cool something. He could use it to make sound. just depends upon how he wants to deploy the energy. So ultimately, I, I agree with you that there's not a big distinction between matter and spirit, but, but when these, this one energy is deployed in different ways, then uh, I'm also prepared to accept that. So technically, there's a a Sanskrit phase for this about energies being simultaneously one and different. And our Western concepts of things, in Western philosophy, we tend to think either or. We don't, we don't really take into consideration the possibility that things can be both one and different at the same time. Very That's true. Yep. just a, a way that we're not trained to think. But in, according to the philosophy that I accept, uh, energies can be simultaneously one and different. Simultaneously one and different. It's a, it's a very difficult concept to grasp, but th that's how I would see that. So there is the original energy, which is the energy of pure consciousness, or Brahman as it's called, in the Vedic philosophy, and there's a whole spiritual world there with spiritual form and spiritual reality and spiritual bodies. And then there's a, a realm of subtle matter, uh, which is a realm where there's also form, bodies, and then there's the world of gross physical matter, where there's also form and also bodies. So, I would say there's bodies and form on every level. And, and those uh, forms that you're 
speaking about, I would interpret as forms made of subtle matter. Now, just because matter is subtle doesn't mean it doesn't have any reality. It's a form of matter, but it's not the kind of matter that physicists deal with or chemists deal with in, in, the, in the laboratory in their ordinary experiments. Of course, now physicists are getting into proposing different subtle kinds of matter, like mm. dark energy and dark matter and things like that. That's yeah, they, uh, they, they, they are starting to deal with these things. So I would put a lot of these paranormal phenomena on what I would call the level of real elements, which means they have a reality. There's a physical reality to them. They may not be always apparent to gross material vision. Okay. I, I don't I don't know if in your encounters with the beings that you were talking about they were you know the poltergeist uh, types of uh, elements if they were visible to your ordinary eyes uh, uh well me, yes sometimes they are I I walked into a hospital room when I was working at a, at the Augsburg State Hospital in New York State uh, many years ago as a student and I literally saw uh, a man was, I, I, whether it was a near-death experience that I was sharing, I don't know, but there was literally a physical hand that came out of this mist and took the man's hand. And then I only saw it for a few seconds, and it disappeared, and then he he, he passed on that day. Uh, and then the, the poltergeist issue, uh, you could see a gauzy structure. But the people have asked me many times, what did the bone structure feel like? And, of course, I had other things on my mind than, than an, an anatomical analysis at that point. But uh, looking back on it, it felt rather almost bird-like, really strange, uh, not human at all. But in any case, uh, we are coming up on a break, and <clears throat> I'm going to try to get back a little bit to, because uh, we're burning up the hour here, something fierce. There's never enough time when you talk with Michael. Um, and when it comes to uh, human origins especially, and we wanted to have Ben had a question on that when we come back uh, from the break. But uh, in the meantime, I, um, I see what you're saying. Michael, I think, because, uh, you know, having studied, not to the point you have, but, but Hindu philosophy and Eastern thought in general, uh, I understand what you're saying. Um, but, again, uh, our, our experience is strictly practical, strictly in the trenches, and there are times when we don't particularly make distinctions, as, as we often have time to do in a discussion, uh, when you're in situations like, like this poltergeist trying to hurt this child or whatever it was trying to do. It did throw her across the room, as a matter of fact, when it got around me. But uh, uh, we will be back shortly, and we will discuss this. And I don't know how much time we have left. we got to wrap right now. Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on CBS News Sky Radio, NewSkyRadio.com. Stay with us. Spiritually Raw, the ass-whipping truth, where skeptics meet spirits and consciousness connect. Meet the four distinctly different individuals, building a multimedia enterprise revolving around the spirit world. No topic is taboo. Tune in as they expose and explore controversial beliefs behind the truths, myths, theories, and religious dogmas surrounding the metaphysical world. They're smart, witty, intuitive, with a raw sense of humor that won't allow listeners to feel sorry for themselves. Special guests range from psychic mediums to Catholic priests and everyone in between. Be prepared for a cataclysmic collision of energies. Callers and opinions are welcome if you dare. SpirituallyRaw.com
Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOUL. New SkyRadio.com. Okay, we are back with Michael A. Cremo, the forbidden archaeologist, uh, author, lecturer, and uh, certainly a good friend of ours. And, uh, Michael, we're going to kind of shift back to the idea of human origins here, and Ben has a question. Okay, so, as you know, we take a very spiritual view of reality as well. So when it comes to human origins, do you see parallels between Indian religion and other religions? Uh, Yes, I do. And... In my book, Human Devolution, I have a, a cross-cultural study of cosmologies. That's the, one of the chapters in the book in, in which I compare the cosmologies of about 30 different cultures down through space and time about what they actually believe about reality. So I do see a lot of parallels uh, between what we find in the cosmology of the Bible, the cosmology of the Vedic literature, the cosmology of the Koran, the cosmology of the ancient Egyptian texts, the cosmology of Native American peoples, the cosmology of Australian Aboriginal peoples, they all tend to say that we exist in a multi-level cosmos that's inhabited by different types of beings at the different levels. Usually at the top of this cosmic hierarchy, there's a a spiritual level, then there are different subtle material realms, and then grosser material realms. And they all tend to say that human beings or any other living thing has a variety of aspects. We're not simply material. We're not simply spiritual. We're a combination of matter, mind, and consciousness. That's what we are. We're not simply combinations of matter. And they none of them say that we came from apes and monkeys. That's uh, another common feature of all these cosmologies. And sometimes people wonder, well, how could all these different cosmologies from all different parts of the world, all different times, how could they be so similar? I think it's because people in different times, different places, have been looking at the same reality, maybe from slightly different perspectives. For example, you might look at a mountain. Somebody might be looking at the mountain from the north, somebody looking from the south, somebody from the east, somebody from the west, and they may give their descriptions of the mountains. They're going to be slightly different because they're looking at the mountain from different perspectives, but it will also be obvious that they're talking about the same real feature of reality. So I think that's why there are so many similarities among the cosmologies of different peoples, because the way I see it, they're looking at the same reality, just from slightly different perspectives. It's a very good metaphor. Uh, now, first of all, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being with us, and uh, we're just about out of time, but I wanted to give you a chance, Michael, to tell us about uh, what you're working on next, uh, your books, your websites. Uh, please let us know what's happening. Well, my latest book is The Forbidden Archaeologist, which is composed of column, uh, co- columns that I write for Atlantis Rising Magazine. So it's a good introduction to my work for people who aren't familiar with it. 
And I'm also working now on putting together a book of all the scientific papers that I presented at science conferences around the world. So that will be coming out next year sometime. Uh, upcoming, if any of your listeners are in California or Los Angeles, I'll be at the Bodhi Tree Bookstore, 7.30 in the evening, Thursday, January 13th. And if people would like to visit my website, mcremo.com, m-c-r-e-m-o.com, that would be good. They can see a museum of forbidden archaeology there and learn about my upcoming events and the different books of mine that are available. So those are some of the things that listeners may want to look into. Excellent. Very good. Well, Michael, it's always a never enough time and a wonderful discussion. And Thank you so much for being with us. We'll have you back real soon. Thank you very much, Paul, Ben. Very good. Okay. Michael Cremo, everyone. mcremo.com. Check him out. Wonderful guy. Very unusual thinker and a clear thinker. Always a, always refreshing to, to talk to Michael. All right. Now, we, um, we've um we only got about a few minutes left here, and I wanted to mention something that's been, of course, in the news this week. We like to talk about paranormal news when we have a chance on the show. And, of course, there's the notion of this bird die-off in Arkansas and various bird and fish die-offs that have uh, come to light since uh, since that was reported. And I don't know uh, what you may think of this. We'd be interested in hearing your opinions. Uh, drop us an email, of course, uh, Paul or Ben at BehindTheParanormal.com, and we will uh, perhaps t- take this up on another show. But a number of things have been said that I think are a little strange about this. Uh, talking about 5,000 birds uh, dropping out of the sky dead in Arkansas, and uh, along comes uh, Dr. Michio Kaku, whom... Uh, we both admire very much, but who has we, we've been unable to get him on the show. Usually, the big names are you know very very happy to come on our show, but uh, there are times when uh, Dr. Kaku sometimes strikes me uh, kind of like Bill Nye, the denial guy, as uh, Stan Friedman would say. And he has said, "Well, this happens all the time," meaning these die-offs. Well, if they happen all the time, they're still unexplained and it's still mysterious. And uh, that, that does not go uh, anywhere to any, any great distance in explaining what happens. And uh, I, I don't think they do happen all the time. I mean, I really keep track of these things. And a good place to do that is uh, earthfiles.com. Our, our good friend Linda Moulton Howe operates that website. And that's the place for news of science in general and things in, uh, that are unusual in particular. And I refer you to that. Now, I did hear from someone, uh, we have certain sources who feed us information that most people aren't aware of, uh, and it is now being reported on earthfiles.com, that these birds, before they died, were somehow had their inner, inner organs pulverized, which is really strange. Now, I'm not aware of anything that can do that unless they ran at great speed into a solid object in the sky. It's also weird that birds don't fly at night, so... That is strange. Uh, you know one thing that came to mind, Ben. Go ahead. What about, about about that? There seemed to be a lot. Oh, two minutes. Seemed to be a lot of birds. I've noticed a lot of birds flying at night. There was a crow flying over here at nine o'clock, pitch dark, uh, the other night over our house, and uh, kind of struck me as odd. I'm wondering if the astronomical alignments they're talking about and some of the electromagnetic phenomena that are going on are messing up their little 
radar. I don't know. Oh, yeah, it's like Aurora Borealis and stuff. No, I don't know. Possibly. But we're pretty much out of time. I yeah. mean, we're not going to be able to get to our emails. Okay, so many thanks to our producer, Will Kosnick, and we'll see you right here next Sunday, January 16th at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 Pacific, on CBS New Sky Radio and NewSkyRadio.com, when we'll welcome back British UFO researcher Nigel Kerner, and we'll take a deeper look at gray aliens from the viewpoint which isn't pretty. No. Uh, in the meantime, check out our Monday Drive Time show, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 Pacific, on WON, 1240 a.m. in southeastern New England, and onworldwide.com. Also, you can hear rebroadcasts of Behind the Paranormal on Sunday, I should say Saturdays, at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 Pacific, right here on CBS New Sky Radio. All right, and we will leave you with a thought from the great Irish author George Bernard Shaw. Science never solves a problem without creating ten more. I'm sure our guest tonight would agree, Michael Cremo. Uh, thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we will see you next time. And as I say, if you do have any information uh, on the uh, bird or fish die-offs, if you have anything strange going on in your area in that regard, and any opinions on this, uh, let us know. And again, it's paul at behindtheparanormal.com or ben at behindtheparanormal.com. And do check out our website, behindtheparanormal.com. Lots of information about our guests, upcoming and past, and over, well over now, 200 various uh, podcasts of all our shows. So we'll see you next time.